Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Today's going to be a little different. If you've been around uh, last little over a year, you know we spend most of our time going line by line through books of the Bible. We're doing John right now. But we like to stop for different topical series and different things that are important in the life of our family. Uh, If you were here with us a year ago, you've been a part of a Freedom Sunday before. Let me catch you up to speed of what today is about. Today, depends how you look at it, the tail wagging the dog or not, is either a day where we introduce you to the International Justice Mission and what they're trying to accomplish in the world, and we support it with some Bible verses, I call that the tail wagging the dog. Or, what my intention is to do today, to preach from James, and if you're familiar with the Bible, you know this is a tough book, from James, how the Christian church is supposed to be living out the justice of God in the world and pointing out to you as an aside that International Justice Mission is an unbelievable example of biblical justice lived out. And so sharing a little bit of what they're about. I'm not even going to play one of their videos today. I just uh, put something on your chair to let you know a tiny bit of what they do. Uh, And then I want to just share this in case you're totally new to International Justice Mission. Imagine a country where there's not a single law on the books against rape. And you're a woman who lives in that country. What do you need from the Christians down the street? Their their cute little church with the cross on front of it. What do you need from them? We are totally theologically right that the gospel is first and the gospel is last. If I cannot, through the gospel, reconcile you to the Father by the blood of Jesus Christ, then mercy ministry, compassion ministry might have been making you more comfortable on your way to hell. I've got to tell you who Jesus is. But how on earth do I earn a right to be heard when every dark thing that surrounds us, I don't fight it? Do you think William Wilberforce, after 23 years in British Parliament fighting the transatlantic slave trade, do you think he had a leg to stand on when he said, let me tell you about justice? You've offended a righteous and holy God, and Jesus sacrificed himself in your place to satisfy the just wrath of God. You can talk about wrath, you can talk about mercy, you can talk about justice when you have lived your whole life repenting of your own unjust attitudes and actions, and you've pushed against darkness with everything that you have. International Justice Mission is a group of Christian attorneys and Christian social workers that will go into countries that do not have laws on the books that they should have, and they will go and provide a legal defense for a young woman or for a man who's trapped in a brick factory in India, and will provide legal defense for a person who cannot afford it to establish case law to allow law enforcement in those countries Legal precedent allows them to enforce the laws that are on the books or to get laws on the books that need to be there. How many of you guys know that we might hand out Bibles on the street, but changing laws, that's very different work, isn't it? That's very different work. I'm not calling it better. I'm not calling it worse. It's not more important. It's not less important, but somebody's got to do it. And the reason we have Freedom Sunday is until, until further note, one, it's biblical. Two, until I am made aware of a second... Christian organization doing the same thing or doing it better, I'm going to keep promoting IJM because nobody else is doing this. No other Christian group is doing it. And by the numbers, they're actually doing it better than the UN. Praise God. Who'd have thought Holy Spirit-filled individuals would do it better than the UN? So these are brothers and sisters that are actively, day by day, rescuing little boys off of Lake Volta in Ghana that are enslaved by their uncle or somebody forcing them to go fishing 14-hour days. They don't get to go to school. This is what they are forced to do. Taking girls in Cambodia that are four years old and are being raped every night for money. They are searching for them 
Because you know how you get trafficked? Is when you don't have a loving adult in your life to search for you when you're missing. In any country in the world, that's how you're victimized, when there's not an adult in your life who gives a rip. Our core values as a church family are as follows. Connect in authentic relationships. Grow in Christian maturity. Serve God and others. Go tell people about Jesus. But what about serving God and others? This is an interesting core value, and we're going to dive into it today by teaching James and talking about biblical justice. Here's a question. I want you to talk with the people around you. Is justice, is it serving God or is it serving others? And please explain your answer. I'm going to give you 60 seconds to talk with the people around you. And when your talking time is done, you'll know it because the lights dimmed and a video started. You've got 60 seconds. Go ahead and talk with your friend. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. 
And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. It's to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There are no just actions in your life. You're not a Christian. Did you know that? Sounds like Pastor Greg's being mean, but I'm not. James is. Read with me. James chapter 2, starting verse 14. We're going to read through 26. Half-brother of Jesus is the author. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone who may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. All right, church history trivia time. Who here knows who Martin Luther was? Maybe half of us. Christian reformer about 500 years ago, because of this text, 
felt that James did not belong in the Bible. He felt it was that radical. Now, part of the reason that he felt this was radical is because of his own journey. He came to know Christ while studying the book of Romans. How many of you guys know that if you come to Jesus in a church that sings a certain type of song, preaches a certain way, and runs certain types of ministries, you can come very quickly to believe that that is Christianity. And so churches who do it a different way, you're doing it wrong. Well, Martin Luther was no different. He interacted with the God of the universe for the first time in Romans, realizing salvation is not by the good things I do, it is by the grace of God transforming the human heart. And he does this through his proclaimed gospel. And Martin Luther, he kind of pendulum swung to one end, and he parked there. He was so, and he brought something very good to the church to remind us that we are saved by the grace of God, not by the good things we do. That's the, actually the essence of Christianity. And he took James as a contradiction. But James is not saying you are saved by works, is he? Didn't say that at all. He said, the faith that you say you have, you say you're a Christian, that is validated by the deeds, the actions that you do, show a consistent love of God. You show a transformed heart by your words and your actions. So there is, sometimes we, we do that. We reject something because we've pendulum swung the other way. But, but again, back to your blank. If you call yourself a Christian, this is, James is talking to Christians here, by the way. If you're kicking the tires of the Christian faith, you're here today because you're trying to explore Jesus, you should love James. Because James is a Christian who kicks Christians lovingly in the face with almost every sentence. That's why I say it's a tough book. You ever studied James? You walk away with a limp. He beats us up. But he does it for the glory of God. He's saying, hey, do not be a Christian hypocrite. Do not be all bark and no bite. Don't just say it. Do it. Next fill in the blank for those of you note takers. Everyone who sees the just actions of the church has an opportunity to give God honor. Did you know that? Everybody. Jesus says this in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that your everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Is that cool or what? Everyone. People are going to have the opportunity, and this is a dynamic equivalent, this New Living Translation, so it doesn't help us a whole lot when it says so that. It's, like, it's not so that it will happen, so that the opportunity is there. That everyone would, toward the purpose of people praising the Father. So the good works that a Christian does, right and just actions, do not force people around us to praise God. They give them the opportunity. Does that make sense? We know that if you're a Christian, you know that you have done things in the name of Jesus and people have not necessarily responded with praise and honor to his name. We hope that they will. If you're a guest today, we hope that you will. This is why justice matters from Jesus' own lips. Right actions from the church invite a dark world into the light and say, praise God for who he is. He's the one who made this light. It's from him. It's not from me. I'm just a broken Christian. I'm a pass-through. I'm a pipe. I'm a conduit. The goodness of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the light is passing through me toward you through this hopefully very loving and generous action. This is the third. I know you guys are shocked. This is the third and final point of the sermon right here. Because we're going to do a lot of practical application today. Generally, a just act will cause the children of God to respond with joy, evil people to respond with fear. Did you know that? Generally. I say that because it's a proverb. Proverbs are not epistles. They're proverbs. They're things that are generally true and they are good to live by. Solomon says this, justice is a joy to the godly but it terrifies evildoers. All right, Christians, I need to ask you some tough questions about what we are doing in our city, not doing in our city, but hope to do one day. 
Whatever it is you did in the name of Jesus, are pimps afraid of it? Are there actions in the world that make pimps afraid that they're next, that justice is going to catch up with them? Are there, are there things? Yeah, namely their friend who's in the, engaged in the same behavior gets justice. Now he's afraid of justice, right? Are shady employers afraid of what you did? I'm asking this because the proverb sends us in this direction, but I think as one who grew up in the church, too often I think I personally, I don't know about you guys, I have thought of good actions and good deeds in the positive light, but we know that two negatives make a positive as well. I have tended to think, oh, what is something that will put a smile on Jesus' face? And that is true. What is something that puts a smile on the face of somebody else? But the scriptures say, are evil people running in terror because of what you did? That's a valid question. Are scam artists afraid of what you did? Are murderers afraid of what you accomplished? And see, our struggle with a lot of this, this all feels so systemic. Like, well, if I was a judge, or if I was a lawmaker, or if I was a police officer, then I would be involved in the system, and I could be a... Well, we can be. We can absolutely be a part of change. History lesson for those of us who weren't there. Judges and lawmakers did not leave the civil rights movement. A Baptist preacher did. William Wilberforce was a Christian before he ran for office. So he did not pursue power the way every other politician does to exalt himself. He was a Christian who wanted to push back darkness and said, if I can get inside the House of Commons, I could raise a stink and maybe we could end slavery. Are sexual predators afraid of what you did, church? Have we done anything lately to make the darkness tremble? Because the darkness trembling... And the angels of heaven rejoicing, that's the same. That's the same. Justice is a joy to the godly, but it terrifies evildoers. Now we're getting into our practical app. Do something. We're going to go through a bunch of different people groups that the scriptures explicitly and repeatedly name that the church must love and must serve if we're students of the scriptures, we will have seen these commands over and over again. But I know on a Sunday we don't necessarily have, uh, not everybody is a student of scripture. And so we're going to spoon feed it a little bit and encourage you to go and study the Bible for yourself. The orphan. A modern example here in our U.S. context of an orphan would be a child in the foster care system. There's not for whatever reason, a safe, loving adult in the home. So social workers, because we've got the grace and mercy of a country where we've got uh, social workers that'll step in and can look first for a next of kin. It's a responsible grandma, auntie, uncle who can take care of this child, love and serve this child. If not, can we find a short-term placement with a foster parent? If things really go south with mom and dad, can we find a long-term? Can we find an adoptive family. This is the modern day orphan if you live in the industrialized world. We do not have 200 kids shoved into a long hall full of bunk beds in a Russian orphanage. I mean, that's where we were at, you know, 120 years ago, but we're not there anymore. It's foster care. Uh, orphans in Africa, literal physical orphans because of AIDS. Your parents just died off. Uh, you're two years old you're going to be exploited if somebody doesn't do something and fast. Some of you who are regular members of the church are uh, familiar with uh, Bob Pearson. He's going to come at the end of February. He comes at the end of every February, and he shares ways that you can um, support his ministry that gets hands-on in making sure that orphans in Africa are loved, cared for, taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, somebody's got to step in, right? Um, there's a reason that biblically... 
God in Leviticus makes all of these provisions for disaster. The idea is the family unit is supposed to be so strong that there's never a true orphan. But we don't love and serve each other well enough, we, or we're so dysfunctional that CPS is like, actually, you're on drugs too, so we're not going to put your niece with you because you're choosing to abuse drugs or you're addicted, what have you. Um, so a couple of practical application steps. One, one way you can serve right now is becoming an IJM Freedom Partner. That's what that envelope is about. Um, and as I told you last year, if you happen to be here, the greatest blessing of being a part of IJM is getting emails, getting uh, social media feed. They shoot out not sales letters of, hey, we need more money. They shoot out posts that say things like this. This happened just two weeks ago. It says, two girls rescued. In big letters, some of you saw it. That's how they, that's how they roll. For four months, seven boys rescued. And they show you a picture, and they show you the country, and they tell you what happened, and they tell you how the perpetrator has been arrested, and they, those kids would not have been found without IJM. When those kind of things, when life, when light shows up in your Facebook feed, isn't that a breath of fresh air instead of all the darkness? I don't care what your favorite news channel is. None of them are going to tell you that we just found two girls in Cambodia that were being trafficked and we pulled them out. No one's going to tell you that. It's too small. It's two people. A different color than you, different nationality than you, different language than you, no rights. You can't relate to that story, so we're not going to put it on the news. IJM will tell you, though, because they're the ones who did it. So if you want to use that envelope and sign up, this priority mail envelope is going to be sent on Tuesday morning with any and all of the envelopes of anybody who wants to become a freedom partner. So now, you're not going to hurt my feelings. While I preach, you want to walk up, put that in there, do it. This is going to stay here. And on Tuesday, it's going to be mailed out. I'm going to keep mentioning IJM until it's full of envelopes. All right. Second thing you can do to serve the orphan. Again, if you do this right now during the sermon, you're not going to offend me. On the sign-up table on the far right, I've got a sign that says, 17 practical ways you can support foster parents. And there are copies of that document right there. If you're afraid of foster care, join the club. It's called being a human being. And if you are not afraid, in the words of the great Yoda, you will be, all right? If you're not afraid, you're a fool, okay? I've got some amens from the back row. Hallelujah. Do you know that the Christian church inside the U.S., if one out of every 11 family units opened their home to a foster child and was open to adoption, there would be no foster kids in all of America? That's not one out of 11 Americans. That's one out of 11 people that call themselves Christians. That means that 10 Christian families can pick that up off the back table and find out how they can support that one family. A church this big, mathematically speaking, we're doing our job if about three or four families open their homes to foster kids. And we already have that, praise God. I want us to push past that. Average is not enough for the kingdom. Not for our Savior. So, become an IJM Freedom Partner. Pick up your copy and read that. It's going to tell you. It's going to help you get into the head and into the hearts of foster parents and adoptive parents that we have right here in our church family already. Or maybe somebody on your street who's a foster parent is going to help you serve them really well. Uh, I printed, I think, 25 of them. Don't break my heart, folks. Make sure all 25 of those are gone by the time we're done today. What about the widow? Again, I'd be preaching till 4 o'clock if I actually turned to each of these verses. Those of you who are mature Christians, I need you to, to trust and expect, and maybe you even know those verses. Or they're in your notes. Go look at them. I could preach an entire sermon about each of these people groups. We don't have the time. A modern equivalent of a widow is a single mom. Let me break it down for you. When the Bible talks about a widow, they are speaking in a cultural context where men were the only ones who could own land. And men were usually the only ones that could earn much of an income. So when your husband dies, you immediately have a potential threat. And this is why so much of the land law was, again, was built there in Leviticus where God was trying to protect women and children. When your husband died, the income goes away. There is no such thing as life insurance. You're not physically protected now. 
And if you did not have a son, you can't even wait around for him to be of age to be the, the legal holder of the land. And this is why God came up with a system that some of us know as the kinsman redeemer. The book of Ruth would not exist if it were not for the love and mercy of God toward widows. Today, we've got women, and yes, there are some men too, but mostly women in America that are trying to raise kids and they are the only adult in their household. Church, do we pretend like those ladies don't exist? Do we, present, do we pretend that the government will take care of them? We get to choose, you know. We get to choose with our dollars. We get to choose with our words. We get to choose maybe with a hug. We get to choose with some free babysitting. We get to choose with a, hey, let's go to the grocery store. And you're going to grab everything you need, and I'm going to swipe my card. That's a choice. We, have the pri- we keep saying, it's a free country. Well, let's use that freedom to do something. There's no law against buying groceries for somebody who's broke. A couple of practical ways we could serve a woman who is up against it financially whether because the relationship didn't work or because a man abandoned her, a boyfriend had his fun and then left, unpaid child support. Give food, money, and time to the food closet. I want everybody to sit up straight and look to your left and identify what is the middle ministry table, promo table on that wall. I just want to make sure everybody knows where that thing is. Fifty-two Sundays a year at that table is going to be a list of food that Wes and Nancy Keeson have given us the list of exactly what they need right now in the food closet. How many of you guys need to know about a single mom that she needs to eat? Super practical, right? How many of you guys know her babies need to eat? Real practical. We're in a spot right now, especially as I was prepping for this, where I had a lot of ideas for ministry expansion with the food closet, and I reached out to the Keesons and said, hey, what would you guys think about me saying this or saying that related to the food closet? And their immediate response was concern. And this is what they told me. They said, Greg, that's awesome, but if you send more people to us to get food, we're already razor thin. So could you send us people to give food? And I said, yes, I happen to be preaching this Sunday. So I want to submit something to you. If you call yourself a Christian, you love Jesus, you call ARCF your church home. I want you to consider making our food closet a regular part of how you think and how you operate. And I say this, the, the law doesn't say this, but it's interesting to me that in Acts 4, a man who is begging outside of the temple He gets healed that day, and his legs are healed when he was asking for money. Almsgiving was a normal part of our faith for a long time. Truthfully, it has been the last 2,000 years as well. Where when you came to the temple to offer prayers and stuff, you also brought money or food for the poor who would be seated outside on the way in. This is an opportunity for us to participate in this. And I'm just going to say it from the front, so hopefully it's not weird. I want it to not be weird at ARCF. That when you walk in on Sunday morning, you have your Bible under one arm and you have some groceries in your left arm. I want that to not be weird. I want that to be a normal and beautiful thing. There's no law against giving time or money or food to the food closet. Nothing stopping us. Another way we can support the widow. Did you know you could provide childcare in your disciple group? One of the Saturday night disciple groups, the one that we host, has six adults and six children. That whole idea that we executed on two and a half years ago of make sure when you go to Disneyland, you outnumber the kids at least two to one, maybe three to one. We brought grandma with us. Gabe's wasn't here yet. So we outnumbered Cabrina three to one. Was that a good Disney trip? Oh, you bet your sweet booty. Because as soon as the 10-year-old can't control our decision-making and culture, it's like, oh, honey, you're losing it. You need a nap. Grandma's going to take you to the hotel. Mom and dad are going to ride something romantic. We're going to go on It's a Small World and ignore the song. How are you supposed to 
six adults and six kids. I want, I want to be clear about the, this. There are two Saturday night disciple groups, the one that we host. It is, to say it is controlled chaos is generous. Very generous. And that's how it is. But we do not, our choice as a group, is that the kids are still in the room. Why? Because five out of the six of them are old enough to be listening and even answering questions and participating in the discussion. Is that making disciples of your children? Say yes. You don't have to, though. Especially if a kid's never been to church, they're bored out of their mind. It is okay to put some pennies together and hire a teenager to go play in the backyard with the kids. That's okay. It is okay to have your disciple group here on campus on Wednesday night so that the kids are here and they're a part of Kids Blast. We already have children's programs. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. And I say that under this category of widow on purpose. If you are parenting by yourself, you get no break. You might not want to be with your kids. You might want 40 minutes where you get to talk about the scriptures with grown adults and have grown adult conversation. Considering single moms and single dads in the way we design our disciple group, that's a very good and loving and proactive thing. I've shared before, I think it's good, loving, and proactive. Uh, I saw Presbyterian churches. Some of you guys know Presbyterians, they're totally fine with alcohol. When they do communion, it's wine and it's cracker or whatever. And I saw a Presbyterian church where their disciple groups said right on there had a little mark next to it. I didn't know what it meant, so I looked down at the bottom of the key. They had their dry groups mentioned. There were different in-home Bible studies that were totally dry. There was no alcohol in the home. And they did that on purpose for anybody who struggles with alcoholism to know that you can show up at this group and you're not going to be tempted. Is that a nice and loving way to proactively serve somebody? Absolutely. We can be proactive with widows too. What about the oppressed? This one we really struggle with in a Western culture. Because whatever your agreements or disagreements with the laws of the land are, generally we have laws and we enforce them. There are other countries where that is simply not the case. What are some practical ways that we can do this? Internally, inside the U.S., I'm going to ask you, I've asked you this before, would you please vote with your Jesus lenses on? It is way too easy to read that brief little highly manipulated description of for or against on a particular assembly bill it is way too easy to just quickly go, do I agree with this fundamentally, disagree with this? What? It's very philosophical. Like my philosophies of how the world should run and you vote accordingly. It's very easy to do that. That's not necessarily wrong, but let me submit to you that as a Christian, it might be better to say, first of all, of course, how would Jesus vote? If Jesus was so small like me that he had to vote, instead of speaking it and it came to existence. If he had to vote, how would he vote on this? Is probably the ultimate question. But asking yourself this, is there a people group anywhere in America who's going to get the shaft if this passes or are going to get the shaft if this doesn't pass? We don't ask ourselves that. We are less than a generation and a half away from redlining being legal. Oh, you're black? You can't get a home loan in that neighborhood. Sorry. We're less than a generation and a half from that, and we have just like kind of moved on, like everything's perfect and everything's right. Maybe it is. I doubt it. But could it be that we are approaching the ballot box naive? Comfortable. Cozy. I'm good. Well, Christianity is thinking about others because Christ thought about others. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. If you're a Christian, would you please vote with your Jesus lenses on? And that's not going to allow you to just say there's an R next to it or there's a D next to it. You're going to have to think through every single idea. You're going to have to put your thinking cap on. Or become an IJM Freedom Partner. Wait, you already said that. Yes, I did. We live in the privilege of knowing that most of our laws are going to be enforced most of the time. Not everybody has that. That's why IJM exists. I've already told you that. What about the unborn? Who's going to speak for them? How do you talk when you're in the womb? 
How do you submit a bill to Congress when you're in the womb? Anybody figured that one out? Some things we can do. If you're a Christian, would you please pray for revival every single day before you read your Bible? I've told you guys this before. I'm going to keep saying it because you cannot prove me wrong. If you want to change America, let's see what happens if half the country repents and becomes a Christian. Let's see what happens. Right now we're in this like almost 50-50 fight. Depending on how you ask certain questions, it's more like 60-40. Abortion is this political issue right now instead of being an ethical issue. Heaven help us. But what would happen if half of the people in America right now that do not love Jesus all of a sudden loved Jesus? What would happen? You can't tell me that our prayers for revival need to be job one. They have to be. Democracies take care of themselves if all the people voting have the heart of God. Does that make sense? And democracies become disgusting things when the people voting do not have the heart of God. They are a reflection of who we are, whether we like it or not. Democracies are just standing naked in front of a mirror. Something else the church can do. Attend a volunteer information day. It's coming up soon, Thursday, October 24th at 10 a.m. If you think it's silly that it's happening during the day, well, that's when they need volunteers. So if you're not available at 10 a.m., then give money, pray, encourage somebody else to go. Right here down the street, a highly thought of Christian group of people are providing options to young moms who think they don't have any other options. There's Planned Parenthood, and there are groups like this. Those are pretty much your options. Put it in your calendar. Right there in your notes, I have the website, sierraph.org, where you can go on there for more information and learn about the different types of volunteers that they need. If you want to save a baby's life, take care of mama right now before she's made a decision. Prisoner. Again, we struggle with this one when we run across scripture. We're so accustomed to assuming here in the U.S. that somebody is in prison did something wrong. And I really, 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 really hope that we are getting it right far more often than we're getting it wrong. In other places in the world, you're in prison because the leader doesn't like you. You're in prison because you were the wrong religion. You're in prison because you were the wrong color. You're in prison because whatever. Some countries have the privilege of more or less just laws, and some countries do not have that privilege. One way you can love the prisoner here cookies for Cairo's prison ministry twice a year when they ask for them. Some of you guys were a part of that just a few weeks ago. It's going to happen again in the spring, Lord willing. Make sure to serve. Oh, and by the way, don't let me assume something wrongly. Even if somebody is incarcerated because they did do something wrong and they got busted, it doesn't mean we don't love somebody. Goodness gracious. A bunch of us that should be in jail. We just didn't get busted. And in God's economy, we all are in jail. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. All of us are guilty and are justified freely by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Let's serve the prisoner. There's another way. Who saw that one coming? Oh my gosh. Become an IJM Freedom Partner. I'm still waiting for somebody to put something in this envelope. I don't know if you guys are afraid to stand up in front of everybody. We'll, we'll, we'll put it at the back next time. What about this? And I'm going to rebuke you before, um, we should do like a telethon where everybody claps. Anyway, where's Jerry Lewis? <laughs> That's funny. Where's Jerry Lewis when you need him, you know? You really like the prime rib? Okay. The foreigner. So, and I keep saying, I've said this a few times if you're a regular. Brothers and sisters, those of us who love Jesus Christ, we have got to rip back the immigration conversation. Fox News and CNN and MSNBC would have us believe that this is a political issue when God has been talking about it for 3,600 years. 
That's a lot of years. It is breathtakingly arrogant when we shout in God's face, no God, you're wrong. God knew he's smart like that. He knew that somebody hanging around with others who's culturally different, ethnically different, and doesn't know the language, doesn't know the currency trade rate, is going to be inherently vulnerable. Again, this turning into a political issue in the U.S. is again because of grace. If our country, let's just be honest, I'm not saying this to sound nationalist, but let's call it what it is. Our country rocks. You know how America's awesome? Everyone wants to come here. But if you're honest, the truth is, it is also very true of New Zealand, Australia, Taiwan, Hong Kong before this started happening, and Western Europe. There are countries, Bahrain, Qatar, there are countries that have more rights and more wealth and everyone wants to go to those countries. Shocker. And so the political discourse has been, we have it pretty awesome and we want to control the number of people coming in. I think if you're talking economics, that's actually very smart to control the number of people going in if it's just economics. But nowhere does the book of Leviticus or anywhere else say, hey, here are your laws for the 30,000-foot level. The scriptures get down on the life-to-life -life level, like who's in the apartment next to you? Who's the person, your life-to-life, -life, they're, they're a coworker of yours. Their kids go to school with your kids. If your kids and their kids go to school and they only speak Arabic, you're going to find out real fast who you can serve, who needs some love, who needs care, who could be victimized. Something practical you can do? Go out of your way to love a family from another country. Sacramento and the surrounding area is in the top 10 list nationally for the placement of refugees from Afghanistan. And in Near Eastern, sorry, in ancient Near East cultures, um, ancient Near East is what it used to talk biblically, modern East, modern Middle East cultures are defined first and foremost by hospitality and protection. And it is very culturally weird for them when neighbors don't show up with resources Blankets, food, are your kids enrolled in the school? Are you guys okay? You know, that's very, very weird for a family from Afghanistan to not have the neighbor next to Hey, my kids play soccer on this soccer team and there's a spot for your kid. Let's go. That's very weird. We think it's normal to leave each other alone. But from, from the Middle East, they think that's very weird and very rude. So I'm telling you this. You're afraid, perhaps, of your Anglo neighbor across the street. If you go over there, you're a salesman. If they're from the Middle East, it's not that way. Cook something yummy and bring it over. And you'll be surprised how warmly you are likely to be received. Cook something yummy, bring it over. Buy and read Patrick Noctegall's book, Facing Islam Without Fear. This book right here, if you'd like to go ahead and borrow my copy, tough luck, it's mine. So some of you guys know Patrick Noctegal. He's one of the missionaries that we support. And this is a tiny little read. You can knock it out in half of an afternoon. Oh my goodness, is this book powerful. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Buy it, read it, type it into Amazon right now. Get it, get it, get it. I was halfway through that book. and My heart is wrenching hearing his description of where modern, modern Islam stands on this side of 9-11 with 20-year-old guys who think they're Muslim because they were born in a Muslim country watching 9-11 happen going, that's not what we believe, is it? And they pick up the Quran for the very first time because of 9-11. This is why Islam is the single greatest source of Christian converts in the last 19 years, 18 years. Islam, far and away, it's not even close. Because of the rise of radical violence, Regular everyday Muslims are opening their own book going, what do we believe? The poor. Again, something else that's politicized when it shouldn't be. Grab your pen, if you would, and write the word food closet on the top of your grocery list. If your grocery list is on your phone, pull out your phone right now. Type the word food closet. It's a sermon for another day, but there's this biblical principle called first fruits. We give God our very first and our very best, and I would love it if it was normal at ARCF. When we walk into the grocery store, the very first thing on our mind is, what am I going to purchase for somebody else? That is how the gospel is lived out. If the very first and best goes to the Lord, or this, hire somebody. That's big and systemic and expensive, I know. 
If the Lord puts you in a position to create jobs, do it. If you're on the fence about, in your business, about creating a job, or do it. If the family next door is really struggling and you can, and they own a lawn care business and you can mow the lawn yourself or you can pay them to do it, pay them and let the Lord take care of your bills. Do it. There's no extended prayer time today, but there will be awkward silence where I challenge you to action. I'm going to give you two minutes. Are you ready? It's just two minutes. We're way over. We're not over until everyone's repented, so we'll just we'll, we'll wait and see how, how long this takes. I'm going to give you two minutes to take action. I just gave you like a dozen different things to take action on. So whether you are becoming an IJM Freedom Partner or you're going to walk back there and find out how to take care of foster kids or you're going to pray quietly in your seat or you're going to talk to a ministry leader and say, how can I serve you? in the ministry that you're doing, anything that is listed in that extensive practical app that we gave today, I'm going to give you two minutes to do it, and I'm going to stand here, and then I'll dismiss us in just a bit. Lord Jesus, we need your leadership. God, we who are Christians know that we are to be salt and we are to be light, but sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need direction, God, as to what to do or how to do it. And I want to ask God for every single Christian in the room right now that you would please put us in touch with a ministry that makes our heart come alive. God, help us just show us where we're supposed to be investing our time and our energy. God, please put us on the front lines of ministry where we've got the privilege to do things that are just and right and equitable and earn a voice to be able to share your gospel that we just lived out with our actions. Jesus, make us a people that are weird, that are peculiar, that stand out because our love is just a little too much, our generosity is a little too much. Compassion is just a little too much. It, it, we don't look like the rest of the world. Make us that, God. For those of us, God, that don't love you yet, please show us your justice and especially show us your mercy exhibited through your cross and create faith in our hearts today. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said, amen. amen. Love you guys. Enjoy your 14-minute long, 30-minute break.